Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation and Nerf.org. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. And our website is neardeathexperiencepodcast.org if you would like to see the show notes. Today we're going to share the experience of John from Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. And John says, After spending a holiday of one week at Malta during May 1992, I was experiencing a very stressful period in my employment and was ready for a holiday. My wife and I shared the holiday with my sister and brother-in-law. My sister was, and still is, a nursing sister in midwifery. During the holiday, I found myself feeling what I thought was continual indigestion, which left me tired and lethargic all the time. The fact that I was on holiday made me determined to enjoy myself, and I joined into every part of the trip, trying to, with difficulty, keep up with the rest of the party. On the day we flew home, I felt worse than I had done the whole time. We boarded the plane and came to the serving of the in-flight meal. I sat in a window seat, one of three, my wife next to me and my sister next to the aisle on the left of the plane. The meal was served and we discussed how good it was and after remarking, the chicken is good, I found myself still in my seat, uh, still in my seat, but outside the airplane to the left in a very large room, brightly lit, with curtains draped all around the walls from floor to ceiling. The seat appeared to be on a raised part of the floor with two steps down. Across the room to my left, some steps led up behind the curtains, which I presumed was out of the room. All the light came from this point and was much brighter from behind the curtain entrance. I took in the scene. A small group of people came from these steps across the room to stand in front of me. They were five adults and two children, male and female, all dressed the same. In pale, tight-fitting clothes, they all had the same hairstyle or a tight-fitting black shiny helmet shaped into the nape of their necks. All of the smiling people I strongly felt had an air of friendliness, love, and well-being. After a few seconds, during the experience time seemed irrelevant, two of the adults, one male and one female, came up the steps toward me. They both took my arm, left arm and stood me up. The man then crossed behind the chair to my right, the woman still holding my arm. At no time in all of this were there any words spoken. I knew everything. I was aware that I was going to be led across the steps leading into the bright light. At no time did I feel frightened or nervous. I was, in fact, very relaxed, not feeling ill and happy to be led away. At this point, I heard a faint voice say, John, and then louder, John, and then my sister's voice saying in a distressed voice, I think he's dead. Then a strange voice, a strange voice shouting, get him over the seats. 
Then I was back in the airplane being pulled over the seats in front, which were empty. I found later that my sister, with her medical experience, had taken my pulse, which had stopped. No one could say how long this had been. I was given oxygen for the rest of the flight and felt well enough for the one-hour taxi home. Within a few days, I was in cardiac care ward for six days and after being an outpatient for several weeks. It was thought that a virus had affected my heart and lungs, leaving me with post-viral syndrome. I am fully recovered now, and in family conversations since then, my sister still maintains she could not find a pulse at that time, at the time, and that she did not suspect a faint. Having said this, my wife and brother-in-law, they agreed with her. At this time, I told them of my experience. The memory of it is very clear. It altered my outlook on the subject of dying. I'm not religious in any way. This is the first time I have related it to anyone since. That's the end of John's account. So, interesting. I find it very curious that... um, when people have experiences in moving things like cars, ambulances, airplanes, they often find themselves outside of it, but clearly following it along. It's as if they are tethered still to their body in a way, and where they move is in um, reference to their body. You know, as you think about the way the world and the stars and everything move, it's kind of a wonder that, uh, you know, he wouldn't find himself outside the plane and then the plane flying off, right? Or perhaps, you know, that a person would not find themselves instantly rushing away from their body with the turn of the earth or some other movement. But it seems that movement of that sort is irrelevant with the spirit. And proximity to the body is the more likely... um, thing to keep them tethered, you know, the, the more likely tether, if you will. And, uh, and in this case, John finds himself, as he says, um, he, he says, I found myself still in my seat, but outside the airplane. So I'm not sure if he is still in a seat, but outside the airplane, or if he is sensing both his physical presence and his spirit body being in a different presence. But he does find himself outside of the airplane in a very large room. Now, is he parallel with the airplane at this point? It's unclear, but uh, but it does sound like he is in a very large room and with curtains draped all around the wall. So I'm picturing this room with walls of curtains and then some stairs going up into... Um, another room, apparently, or somewhere outside the room. And beyond these curtains, there's a great light that is emanating. Um, and he can sense this. And, and then these five adults and two children, male and female, all dressed the same, come in. And I would be interested in asking him, who have you lost in your family during your lifetime? Or even maybe shortly before your lifetime, because there are five adults and two small children, or two children. That is a curious number of people, and a number that is 
possibly or possible to have that he may have known them or may have you know that uh, may have known his parents something like that and though he doesn't identify them that makes me think that perhaps he didn't know them or at least didn't recognize them now his description of their clothing is curious because i've not heard this clothing description before um they've all got pale tight-fitting clothes okay and by pale i assume something maybe off-white i don't know um pale tight-fitting clothing and they all have the same hairstyle that's kind of curious i'm not sure what to make of that and then he says the you know and then in parentheses he has or a tight-fitting black shiny helmet with a question mark making it sound like either they had the same hairstyle or they all had you know some kind of tight fitting black shiny helmet i'm almost picturing a swimming uh cap or something like that i don't know but they've got these pale tight fitting clothes and then a shiny helmet i mean it, this almost sounds like swimming outfits from the description but um um shaped into the nape of their necks so this hairstyle or helmet is shaped into the nape of their necks. Kind of interesting. There's no explanation for this kind of clothing or any reason for it. They're not in, you know, light-fitting robes like you often hear, but they are in similar clothing. What does that mean? I don't know, but he does sense a friendliness about them. And um, my understanding is that you cannot fully hide your intent um, on that side so I do sense that they genuinely are friendly this isn't some kind of hellish beings uh, arriving to you know torment him in some way or mean him harm in some way as people have always been able to sense the intent of the people with them and they felt strongly a friendliness love and well-being so this does seem to be probably some kind of angelic or family beings okay and um he says there were never any words spoken any any vocal vocalization taking place but he says that i knew everything and he says i knew or i was aware of the fact that i was going to be led across the steps and leading into the bright light so it sounds like he knew everything maybe in the sense of everything they intended or everything that was being communicated, even though without words. I, or it could be that he knew everything that there is to know in the universe. That's not uncommon. But just from the context, it sounds like he knew everything about this situation and, and where they were going and so forth. Um, but either way, he says, at no time did I feel frightened or nervous. In fact, I was very relaxed, not feeling ill, and happy to be led away. It's like, yeah, okay, let's go. And at that point, suddenly, he's hearing a voice shouting. And next thing he knows, he's back in his body being pulled across the seats of the airplane, probably to be given CPR. And um, he says, I was given oxygen for the rest of the flight, which, of course, they have because of those things that you pull down, you know, as they demonstrate at the beginning of how to pull them down and and um, start oxygen and so forth. But he's He's put on oxygen for the rest of the time and is, within a few days, diagnosed with post-viral syndrome. I don't know what that is, but from what his sister says, 
she was not able to find a pulse. So his heart apparently stopped for a time. Sounds like a, a form of uh, cardiac arrest. And uh, as we've discussed, you know, the stopping of the heart and the stopping of the breath are the two quickest ways to project into a near-death experience. It seems to me, it seems, seems the most common. You know, uh, in other kinds of situations where there's a lot of pain involved, they will often be experiencing the pain for several seconds to a minute, whereas it seems like once the heart stops, they just move on, you know, or the breathing stops. There may be a few seconds of realizing the panic of not having breath, and then, you know, within a minute or so, they're out. They just leave their body, especially once they realize that they're dead or they're going to die. It seems like that is something that can propel someone into the other side, is the genuine belief that you're about to die. Something about that, it's like the body says, okay, you know, I give up, <laughs> and it stops at that point once, I don't know, the consciousness or whatever the, your conscious thought is, I'm going to die, and there's nothing I can do about it. That seems to propel people into a near-death experience as well. Interesting, right? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of questions that we might have for this person, such as, who were these people, and did you know any of them? And tell us more about the clothing, because this is unusual clothing for the other side. But, you know, you're, you get all kinds, and they have this air of friendliness and love, and it appears that they're going to lead him into the light. So clearly this was a positive experience, and, and one that probably would not have gone in any negative way, but he just finds himself back in his body. Doesn't seem to be any agency involved in it, but uh, beautiful experience, beautiful experience, and one that, as he says, it altered my outlook on the subject of dying. I would be interested in knowing if he has any of the after effects, but um, he doesn't say. So, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by either purchasing the book, Life in the Spirit World, or by going to patreon.com slash ndecast and becoming an ongoing monthly contributor. And there are links to both of those on neardeathexperiencepodcast.org, which is our homepage. You can also contact the podcast either to share a comment, ask a question, or to share your own near-death experience by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. And that will give you a three-minute message time in which time you can uh, share your message. And if you get cut off, call back and share, continue as if you know, as if you hadn't been cut off, and I can easily piece these together for the podcast as many times as you need to, to get your message across, and we can put them on the podcast. And once again, thank you again, all of you, so much for listening.